You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello! Country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It has been a rainy week here on Long Island, New York, and why not talk a little sports? A lot to get into As we will get into the NFL Draft, we have a panel of great analysts that are going to be joining us a little bit later in the show, where we'll go in and out of the first round of the NFL Draft as the New York Jets get not one, not two, but three first-round draft picks thought of as one of the greatest drafts the Jets have ever had. The Giants' two picks, they land their pass rusher and their offensive lineman, they've been desperately needing. We'll talk about the A.J. Brown trade, the Marquise Brown trade. All the Browns are getting traded right now. All the Browns are getting traded except for Baker Mayfield. That's right. We're going to get it to the MLB as the New York Mets come back from an unbelievable game. The Mets are playing great baseball right now. They're 19-9. and The Yankees, just unbelievable. Had the longest winning streak this year out of any MLB teams. 11 games. The Yankees are playing great baseball. Aaron Judge has nine home runs. He's racking in the batting average that we he expected as he wants more money. Probably won't be a Yankee next year, so he's going to do everything he possibly can to boost up those numbers so he can get the $300 million he plans to make. The NBA second round, the semifinals, as the Phoenix Suns are nicely up with the Dallas Mavericks. The Golden State Warriors tied 1-1 with the great John Morant. Philadelphia and Miami. Joel Embiid coming back and James Harden just looking like crap. The Celtics series as the Celtics are tied 1-1 with the great Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's the best you've ever pronounced his name. There you go. The Greek Freaky. That's what we'll call them. Milwaukee Bucks are right now tied with the Celtics 1-1. And we'll get into the NHL, which is the most important when it comes to playoffs. As the New York Rangers tie their series 1-1, heading to Pittsburgh. I love the NHL playoffs. There's so much going on. The Toronto Maple Leafs are playing great hockey right now. Who would have thought they'd be up 2-1 against the Lightning. Meanwhile, they still were up 3-1 to one last year against the Montreal Canadiens. Meanwhile, they were the last place team this year, and they still blew it. So, it's the Leafs. Don't jump the guns yet until they actually win a playoff series. That's true. It's unbelievable how the Maple Leafs are playing in this series. That says a lot about this team and how far they've gotten from what they were two years ago. No Moneyline Mania tonight. They probably won't be back for at least another week. If you guys are betting on their picks, our handicap sensations... Well, you're going to have to wait another week to hear what they have to say when it comes to betting and playing the line. Anyways, why don't we get into some baseball conversation. And the New York Mets, who have been playing unbelievable baseball this year. We expected this. Uncle Stevie spent a lot of money in the offseason. He put this team on a pedestal and said, I am going to go out there and I'm going to do everything I can to make this team a championship competitive team. Going after Sterling Marte, bringing in Escobar, who's a great defensive player and can hit for good average. Bringing in Max Scherzer, 
who arguably is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Canna, he's been unbelievable, hitting over 330. But what we see with the Mets that we didn't see last year is team unity. This team is not just playing for one or the other. They're playing together. If you want to be a championship competitive team and you want to see growth, you need a team to play together. Pete Alonso, over the last couple of years, has been the leader. Now you're seeing Francisco Lindor. Now you're seeing Max Scherzer, who a lot of people believe is the team leader in that clubhouse. It is very, very important when you watch these players build together and turn this into a real destination to go and play for. Buck Showalter, if you were to tell me who would be manager of the year in the National League, right now it would be Buck. Now, Buck has done this everywhere he's gone. Arizona, Texas, the Yankees, Baltimore. Everywhere he's gone, he's turned franchises around, but never won. Going into this season, a lot of people loved Buck. Everybody thought that this guy was the perfect man for the job. He's got a tremendous amount of experience. And with a young team like this, talent on this roster, there's nobody I thought would be better for this job. Buck Showalter is getting these guys to play like a team for once. They're not just playing as, I'm going to hit for a bunch of home runs and try to get big contracts. Because the Mets have done that in the past. They've been a good power team. They've been a good on-base percentage team. But they've never been a good all-around baseball concept team. Finally, they actually have some legitimate team defense. They actually have some legitimate situational hitting. They're the best two-out hitting team right now in the National League and the second highest in the majors. Coming back in games that you would have never seen them come back in in years past, even with talented rosters. They had a big comeback a couple weeks ago against the Cardinals. Now this one against the Phillies, too. Down 7-1, to entering the ninth inning. You never would have seen that in the past on base percentage, batting average, and mixing up different lineups, too. This team is very deep, getting production from other parts of the batting order. The only hitters that are really struggling so far are James McCann and Cano, who's now DFA'd. Good riddance. Everyone else is hitting in different spots of the lineup. It's finally looking like a real team again. That has a lot to do with Buck Showalter and the way he's managed, absolutely. If you look at Francisco Lindor, is he having a great batting average season? The answer would be no. He's batting 241, but he's hitting for power, and that's what the Mets need. He has 26 hits, 5 home runs, 17 RBIs, and 3 stolen bases, and he has a gold glove playing at the shortstop position. Pete Alonso right now is having a sensational year, and this is a young team. Their best players are the youngest players. Pete Alonso right now has five home runs, batting 269, 21 RBIs. When you look at Max Scherzer right now, who has been unbelievable, and I did not think Max Scherzer was going to be the guy that's going to change this franchise around. I was wrong. Max Scherzer right now is 4-0, 2.61 ERA, and his whip under one. With the pitching that they have, even their bullpen has been unbelievable. Diaz, who I have always thought was going to be a very big acquisition when they made that trade to bring in him and Robinson Cano, which, by the way, is gone. Paid him $40 million just to get him out of there, which I think was a great move by the New York Mets. Where this team is for where they weren't last year, they didn't have unity in that clubhouse. That's why they brought in Baez to really help Francisco Lindor. Lindor wasn't playing well last year. They brought in one of his good friends. It didn't work out. Matter of fact, it caused trouble in the locker room. Then you bring in a guy like Sterling Marte. I think is one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball. Fastest center fielders in baseball. If you were to ask me right now, who has been the best all-around player for the New York Mets? It would be Sterling Marte. 262, 20 RBIs, 3 home runs, has 4 stolen bases, and he has not dropped the ball in the outfield. But it's not even their roster that's been so impressive. It really has been Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett. Those two guys who are so eager to get on that field and shut down and mow down teams. 
And you can't talk to these guys on the bench. When they're on the mound, it's business. When they're not on the mound, some people say they're the funniest guys in the locker room. But this team is showing you why they are going to have a chance to win in the National League and might have a chance for the first time in a very long time to be favorites of going to the World Series. There are two pitchers, I think, that have been storylines under the radar. Carlos Carrasco bouncing back very well this and year. McGill. Drew Smith, he's one of two relief pitchers that have not allowed an earned run yet this year, who they got in the Lucas Duda trade, has, along with Diaz, really carried that bullpen because Seth Lugo really has struggled. Adovino, former Yankee, has really struggled. And Trevor May, who's been hurt a lot so far this year, he hasn't been Are you surprised Adam Adovino is not pitching well? I'm not. Boomer bust signing. He had a couple good years in the past. but He he's had a really... good year with the Red Sox last year. And he had one good year with the Rockies before the Yankees. Sign, and then he had one good year with the Yankees, then he fell off. It always happens like yeah. that with Adam out of here. Yeah, he has he, one good yeah. year, one bad year. My expectations weren't that high regardless. But one next Yankee that is pitching well, though, is Chasen Shreve. He's been their best lefty, one of the best lefties in the league. Yes, and he's a very good bullpen arm. You saw what the Yankees did with him. The Yankees really built him into a great bullpen arm, mm-hmm. and then they traded him. Bounced around throughout the league, and now he's back in New York, and good for him. Just like Castro with the Yankees yeah. when the Mets made the trade before the season started. I thought Castro was going to be a great fit in the Yankees' bullpen. He's been sensational for the Yankees. The Yankees have the best bullpen in baseball right now. You look at both teams, and you should be excited right now. The two best teams in the major leagues is not the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Houston Astros, the St. Louis Cardinals. No, it's the two teams in New York, the New York Mets and the New York Yankees. As far as the Yankees are concerned, there's really nothing bad to say about this team right now. And yes, I'm going to say this, Yankee fans, for all the people to throw Aaron Boone under the bus that he is a terrible manager, what are you going to say about him now? Everybody thought that this team wasn't going to cut it this year. As good as the lineup is of what the pitching staff was in the beginning of the season, everybody wanted to blame one guy, and that's the guy that they gave the three-year extension to, Aaron Boone. Not only Aaron Boone, everybody was trying to run out the great Brian Cashman, saying that the game has passed him by. The Yankees have already been on 11-game winning streak. This team has played flawless baseball. Two weeks ago, we were talking about hitting in men in scoring position. They were batting 176 with men in scoring position. The Yankees have put that number up in the last two weeks. And since that time we were talking, the Yankees are hitting over 300 in men in scoring position. Aaron Judge has nine home runs, batting 293 with 19 RBIs. Anthony Rizzo, nine home runs, 21 RBIs. Giancarlo Stanton has five home runs, batting 260, 16 RBIs. The Yankees have players right now that are almost in double digits in RBIs. They're the number one defensive team in baseball. They were the second worst defensive team in baseball last year. All the acquisitions Yankee fans were saying wasn't enough in the offseason have been nothing but great when you look at the numbers when they step on the field. One error in 11 games. What does that tell you about this team? They're playing fundamental baseball. That's something they haven't done since Joe Girardi. Even before Joe Girardi. Joe Girardi right now, which all the Yankee fans were jumping off the bridge when the Yankees fired him, gave the reins to Aaron Boone, which, by the way, has a better record in the first four years as a manager for the New York Yankees than Joe Girardi did. Joe Girardi right now in Philadelphia looks like he's going to be run out. The Phillies just really hire a robot to be their manager at this point. (laughs) Aaron Boone has done nothing but good things 
for this team. And with an all-new bullpen of guys breaking out, there are only two pitchers right now, Lucas Lecky and Jonathan Lewisica, that have ERAs over four on their staff. And really, those have been rigged by one bad outing. Everyone else, 3.75 ERA is the highest. Their starting rotation is all in the twos. You've got a couple relief pitchers in the zeros, Michael King, Clay Holmes, Aroldis Chapman. That says a lot about Aaron Boone, the way he's gotten guys finally in different roles. The Yankees were always the, we're talented, but we have only one type of identity type team. They were a great power team. They had a great bullpen, big veteran arms. Fizzled out. Your team started to find the weaknesses of it. Now they have a little bit of everything, and that's scary for this Yankees team, and Aaron Boone definitely deserves credit for that. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, a shortstop that the Yankees got in a package for Gary Sanchez. By the way, Gary Sanchez is not playing well with the Twins. And they're not playing that bad. Right now, Isaiah Kainafalefa is batting 295. He's not hitting for power. Nobody expects him to. He doesn't have any home runs. He's got 23 hits for the Yankees. He's been one of the best shortstops, all-around shortstops in baseball. Is anybody throwing Brian Cashman under the bus right now after making that move? Which, by the way, wasn't even the lead guy in that trade. He was an add-on player in that trade. Glaber Torres, who everybody said that this guy was a waste, trade him. Is he batting for average right now? No. Still has got three home runs and 12 RBIs as a second baseman. He's on his way to hit 20 to 25 home runs and about 90 RBIs. Is Joey Gallo great? No. And Joey Gallo has these spurts, and he doesn't hit for average. He'll go on one of those eight-game home run sprees where he's going to hit, like, ten home runs. If he doesn't hit for average but still is for power, what's the worst it could be? A Matt Stairs off the bench? Miguel Andohar gets called up. Yep. He's batting 400. They're not an average hitting team. And over the years, it's all about power. The Yankees have done nothing but hit for power. They're one of the only teams in baseball right now that have hit home runs. If you're a Yankee fan, and if you're a Met fan, you should be excited. For the first time in a very long time, really since 2000, when there was a Subway Series, there could be a good chance that we could see another Subway Series this year with the Yankees and the Mets. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into some basketball conversation. Kyrie friggin' Irvin. If he doesn't tweet about racist markups of who and what he is as a player on and off the court, He's now thinking that he's a martyr. He's got to be dead to be a martyr, and he's not. As well as he thinks the earth is flat, I think his brain is just as flat as his own intuition. When we come back, we'll get into Kyrie Irving, the NBA playoffs, and everything that's going on in basketball in the last past week here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host... Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the great shows we have every single week, our show, The Sports Loudmouths, as we have some of the greatest guests throughout the media world, and some of the greatest ex-athletes that have played in the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and the MLB. So definitely check out the show every Tuesday and Thursday nights at 9 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio app. Why not get into some basketball conversation with the biggest name here in New York? And that is Kyrie Irving. I have a lot of respect for Kyrie Irving. I loved what he did following his own 
thoughts of the COVID vaccination, not taking the vaccination, standing down, not doing what the NBA wanted him to do, not doing what the Nets wanted him to do. He spoke out on Instagram, speaking about some of the stupid things he's done in the NBA, stupid things that he said, and he apologized to the fans. All the things that he has done, not only rudely, not only stupid in the NBA, this particular thing, after the season ended miserably, getting swept by the Boston Celtics. This man just can't disappear. He has become the center of attention here in New York. Not for the good, but only for the bad. And the Nets are going to have to make a decision in the offseason. Being that he is going to want an extension, because he is a free agent. What they're going to do with this man. Because to bring this guy back, when he has been nothing but a cancer in the locker room, everywhere he's gone. He is a sensational player. I think he's a top 10 player. Some people would say he was a top 5 player. In the league this year. And a lot of people have said that him and Kevin Durant are the best tandem in the NBA. That's not saying much. Kyrie thinks he's a martyr. And it's so funny. We were at break. I looked up the definition of martyr. The Webster Dictionary. A martyr. A person who is killed because of a religious or other beliefs. Is Kyrie Irving dead? Is Kyrie Irving that religious to believe that he is a martyr? The answer is no. And to go on social media, on Twitter, and say the things he has said, not only about some of the players and some of the analysts and press throughout the NBA, saying that they're racist, they don't know what the hell they're talking about, they don't shut their mouths, and they don't know how he feels as the center of attention as a professional athlete. Speedy, why don't you read off some of the dumb, ridiculous things He has said all over social media. When I say my name or my brother's slash sister's name getting spun through the media, I refer to all my research about who they are. Their job is to control public perception, all while profiting off discussing, discrediting, and disrespecting people's lives for entertainment. I send shots at the puppet masters, not the puppets. All puppets do is run around society trying to gain popularity and state opinions. What a life. My name is worth billions to these media corporations. My brothers and sisters who deal with this know exactly what I mean. When you become free mentally and spiritually, There is not much this twisted slash racist society can surprise you with. My ancestors left behind all of the wisdom and truth. Your ancestors. Oh, just your ancestors. Okay. And truth for all the agenda to be exposed. When Mm. you know exactly who they are, they can't hide from their filth. A lot of these media corporations make their money by degrading black slash African slash indigenous community heroes. They thrive off of it and then sell it back to us by having a hand-selected person or group of people spark controversy about them for the world to see. Just watch all of the people. People who wake up every day and report about people's lives on TV and social media and then profit off of them. Then they justify their jobs by saying they get paid to say how they feel. LOL, it's like these people live in a fantasy. Kyrie, let me ask you a question. Why do you play in the NBA? You make millions and millions of dollars when players and people could never see that kind of money in a lifetime. You have been nothing but a joke as a professional athlete. You have been nothing but a joke as an athlete that has been nothing but the center of attention in a league, in a place like New York City, where you decided to go and try to win a championship in where you're not even the best player on the team. Kyrie Irving has been nothing but a cancer since he's come to New York. He has done nothing. He has won nothing. He's never won anything, except when he went over there and played with LeBron James. And it was the only reason why he won was 
just because of LeBron James. He finally wanted to go to a team where he could be a leader. A team could follow him, and he failed miserably in Boston. He leaves Boston, and now Boston's one of the best teams in the NBA. He goes to Brooklyn. He plays with one of the greatest players in the league, and Kevin Durant. They make a trade, bring James Harden in there, and they win nothing. They are 13-3 and in the 16 games they played together. Nice football team. And all Kyrie Irving does is speak. And it feels like every time he speaks, he looks more and more stupid. I don't know why the Brooklyn Nets, the executives, a.k.a. Sean Marks, and Steve friggin' Nash hasn't told Kyrie Irving to shut down his social medias. Because this man has made the Brooklyn Nets the laughingstock of the NBA. It's not the New York Knicks anymore and James Dolan. It is the Brooklyn Nets. A Brooklyn Nets team that underachieved this year. They get knocked off by a Boston Celtic team that had a very good season. One of the youngest teams in the NBA. Don't even have the stardom of a Kevin Durant and a Kyrie Irving. Tatum is a superstar. He's an up-and-coming superstar. Jalen Brown is becoming a superstar. He's an up-and-coming superstar. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they have won nothing together. I understand they're both champions. One won with LeBron, the other one went with Golden State. Do you notice they both had to play amongst superstars to win? They couldn't do it for themselves? Kyrie was over there with the Cavaliers all those years until LeBron went back over there to win with him and Kevin Love. And then Kevin Durant played with Russell Westbrook, James Harden in OKC. Never won over there and had to jump ship and go and play with the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson. This is an embarrassment. And if the NBA doesn't shut this man up, the Nets should. He should not be speaking and if I was the Brooklyn Nets right now I would find a trade partner and get rid of this man. This personality, he might be a martyr. He might have a dead head. His and brain's not thing. working. The earth is flat. Brain's flat. Who knows what's going to go on next. And at what point are we going to say that maybe Kyrie Irving was mainly saved by LeBron James in terms of the stability factor? I'm not saying him as a player. One of the greatest talents the NBA's ever had. Allen Iverson says he's the greatest ball handler he's ever seen. And that's arguably the best ball handler that ever played in the NBA. When Allen Iverson is saying Kyrie Irving is one of the greatest all-around talents he's ever seen, that tells you what he could be. He'll never get to that height because the man just doesn't shut up. He doesn't stay out of trouble. And he doesn't get in trouble where he's going to jail, he's killing anybody or raping anybody. But what he says on and off the court makes him and his team Look like a bunch of idiots. It's what his mindset is, his work ethic, whatever it may be. LeBron has been the only one that's found a way to stabilize it. The Celtics played better without him. Even the year before, he got hurt in the playoffs. They went to the Easter Conference Finals. The Nets, do we need to go through that debacle? The Cavaliers before LeBron got there. We're not even a playoff team. There is a common denominator here. You need LeBron. You need somebody like that to stabilize you. Even a player as talented as Kevin Durant, I can't seem to do it. And I don't want to talk about this particular story to ruin what's going on in the NBA playoffs because it's been sensational. Miami last night, going into last night, they were up 2-0. Joel Embiid comes back, and then there was actually a showing of James Harden. And that says one thing. If he continues playing like that, this series might not be over. But with Miami, with the depth they have, Tyler Hero, who is sixth man of the year, congratulations to him, by the way. Butler and Oladipo, they're going to be very hard to beat because of the depth that they have. They play team defense. They have one of the best coaches in the league, the best GM, the best executive in all of basketball, running that organization, a winning organization. Yes to New York Knicks fans. Yes to James Dolan, that if he just stop with his selfishness, 
in the 90s, Pat Riley would be the GM of the New York Knicks, and Pat Riley would have won multiple championships for the New York Knicks, and including maybe drafting a Dwayne Wade, maybe getting LeBron James to come and play in New York. The Knicks would be a different organization if Pat Riley was running it. So thank you, James, for not doing the things right for the organization at the time that you should have. He went to Miami to stick it up. The New York Knicks, you know what? You don't want to bring me in? I know somebody that will. But I'm sure there's a lot of other organizations that are like, look at the Brooklyn Nets, all this talent. Yeah, they don't know how to run it. Even the Sixers, look at all the bad contracts they gave out. Now they have to deal with James Harden. Yes, he finally played well in game three. About time. Can they come back and win the series? That is a lot to ask for against a Miami team that is that deep. Guys like Caleb Martin, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent. These are all guys that were the second round picks or like unthought of guys. It's not just the stars with Miami. So the Sixers have to find those guys if they want to have any shot in winning this series. Because even if MB does play, how well is he going to be playing in comparison to the MVP He's just playing because they need the rebounding. They need that superstar on the court to kind of draw Miami off of James Harden and Maxie. And James Harden, he didn't have one of those sensational games where he scored 40 points the other day. He scored 17 points. He did everything that he needed to do to keep this team in this playoff series. Does it mean they're going to win the series? No. But if Joel Embiid comes back and he can play even half as good as he did before he got hurt, they might have a chance. They have to win game number four. They're down 2-1. to Take away the crowd. Take away the confidence of Miami with the talent that they have. Miami is the most all-around talented team in the whole NBA playoffs. Even better than Phoenix when it comes to their bench. They have a tremendous amount of depth. And now that Victor Oladipo is at 95% healthy, that's another offensive player that they're adding to that roster off the bench. It's going to be very, very hard to beat Miami. But with Philadelphia, with their talent that they have too, they have Harris, they have Maxi, they have Harden, Embiid. They have firepower to stay in this series. The question is, is James Harden going to play his butt off, which we have not seen since he stepped on a basketball court as a rookie? Milwaukee and the Celtics. The Celtics absolutely destroyed Milwaukee in game number two. Defended the Greek freak very, very well on the perimeter. And that's how you beat Milwaukee. Keep Giannis outside of the paint you are going to win this series. Giannis has become a better shooter. Figured out how to hit a 16-foot jump shot. This team has completely changed since he's learned how to do that. But now that Middleton is not playing in this series, it takes away another offensive firepower, good shooter on the perimeter, which puts more pressure on Giannis to do more and win by himself. I still think Boston is the more talented team and have the most depth in this series, but this is Milwaukee, and they are the champion with the coaching that they have. The Celtics have a rookie coach. Milwaukee as a whole, they have a bunch of players that have been here before that have won a championship. I still think that Milwaukee has a chance. But Tatum has been unbelievable throughout the playoffs already. I think he's been one of the best players. Him and John Moran have been sensational, and obviously Chris Paul. Boston should win this series because Middleton is not in it. And if Boston loses this series against a Milwaukee Bucks team that is right now crawling in the semifinals, tells you one thing. With a great player like Giannis, who I think is the MVP of the league this year, you can absolutely win when you have a player of that magnitude that can lead your team no matter what is on the court. And allegedly, this was the game where they quote-unquote defended him well, and he still had 28 points, 9 rebounds, and 7 assists. Yeah, that says a lot about the type of player he is right now. This is the first game that Milwaukee's depth really didn't showcase themselves without Middleton. But again, it's the first one out of five. You can't expect this to last forever. They get to go home for two more games, and they have guys that are veteran guys that can play great defense, can shoot, and they still have a good mixture of everything. So the Celtics... They gotta keep taking Giannis out of the game, but if somehow Milwaukee could win this series 
with just Giannis, and they have a lot of good players on this team. They have players like Drew Holiday on this roster, who's a good player. He is not Jason Tatum. He is not Jalen Brown. Losing a guy like Middleton, he's one of the best shooters in the NBA. He's one of the best shooters under pressure in the NBA. You saw how important he was in the NBA championship and what he did against Phoenix. And and defensively, too, on the perimeter, he's a pretty good defender, too. Losing a player of that magnitude is crazy. But if anybody could do it, it's Giannis. And if Giannis could pull this off and somehow squeak past the Boston Celtics, it tells you who he is as a leader and what this team is all about. I think they could. I still think Boston has the advantage. As far as the Western Conference teams, I expected this with Phoenix. No matter if they played Utah or Dallas, they are the better team. They're the best team in the NBA. They've been the more dominant team in the NBA. Yes, Devin Booker is playing. He's not 100%, but it doesn't really matter. He still scored 30 points the other day, and as Chris Paul scored 28, and really in the fourth quarter, Chris Paul took over the game. Again, that's why if you were to tell me if I were to build a team right now to win a championship, who would I choose to build my championship around? My number one guy would be Chris Paul. Because everywhere this man has gone, no matter how young the team is, how old the team is, he finds a way to win. Now, you're going to say, well, he's never won a championship. That's not Chris Paul's fault. Chris Paul, over the years, has been fighting injury Everywhere he's gone. And had to play with James Harden. And had to play with James Harden. If he didn't get hurt in that series against Golden State, they would have won that series. Mm -hmm. They would have went to the NBA Finals. And they probably would have won the NBA Championship. Not because of James Harden. Because of Chris Paul and the depth that Houston had. And Phoenix, to really set people straight. To really shut people up on how good Chris Paul is. Chris Paul needs to win an NBA Championship. I think he has a great chance this year. Luka Doncic is doing everything that he possibly can. This team is not very good. They don't have enough depth. Jalen Brunson has played well in the last series. He's a guy that's going to give you 16, 17 points. He's going to give you about 6 or 7 assists, 5 rebounds. He's not a guy that's going to give you Chris Paul numbers when he needs to take over a game. He's just not that player. He's also still very young. I feel bad for Luka. Luka has been unbelievably dominant in this series, but it's not going to be enough because when you have to play Chris Paul, you have to play Devin Booker, and the depth that this Phoenix Suns have, and by the way, the team defense that they play, it's almost impossible to beat this team. And it might have been a blessing in disguise for the Suns having to deal with what they had to go through because the Suns last year were kind of coasting through the playoffs in a way. Blew out the Nuggets in their series. They didn't blow out the Clippers, but they were playing without Kawhi Leonard against the Clippers, so they essentially had all the overconfidence. And then they were up 2-0 in the NBA Finals before falling apart the way they did against Milwaukee. But this year they had to deal with the adversity, the injuries with Devin Booker, the Pelicans bench outplaying the Suns bench for a lot of that series. Those games were close. They were really battle-tested, but the Suns have been clutch. Chris Paul has been as clutch as we've ever seen any NBA player be in the postseason, probably since LeBron with the Cavs. It starts with Chris Paul. You're absolutely right. The leadership is just there on all fronts for him, whether it's scoring, whether it's passing, whether it's defense. As far as the other NBA series, everybody expects this to be the best one. The one and only Steph Curry, who everybody for years has been saying has been the best guard in the NBA, which I beg to differ. And the new superstar in this league, John Moran, who I believe going into the series was by far the best guard going into the series. Even better than Steph, even better than Klay Thompson, even better than Jordan Poole, who's been sensational this year. John Morant has been otherworldly throughout the season. Who would have thought the Memphis Grizzlies would have been the second seed in the Western Conference this year? It's been unbelievable. Right now, this series is tied 1-1. It has everything to do with John Morant and what he does on the court. Defensively, 
offensively, power dunks, shooting ability. He can do everything. He's almost unstoppable. He is the better version of Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook couldn't shoot like this guy. But the speed, the power, he's only 22 years old, guys. He's this good already. It took Steph five to six years to become an NBA superstar. This guy has been an NBA superstar since his rookie season. I don't think anybody expected him to get to the two seed in the Western Conference. I was thinking maybe four or five. I knew they were a rising team. I never would have expected two right away. And they're winning close games, too. Look at all the comebacks they had the first series. They played a one-point game. They lost the first game of this series. And then they came back down 10 in the fourth quarter in this one. And they were able to win amidst being all the chippiness that has happened in this Mm -hmm. series. Two flagrant twos. One by Draymond Green. One by Dylan Brooks, who's suspended for game three. A lot of times, these young players... They don't always know how to handle stuff like that. We know John Morant knows how to handle it. 47 points. He had almost half his team's points a game, too. And he's getting other guys involved, too. This is probably the other team, besides the Suns and the Heat, that maybe have that kind of eight or nine deep type depth when they're on. They were off in game two, and they're going to have to be on for them to win this series. But that's the other advantage they have over Golden State, which has some good depth, but is not the same level of depth that the Grizzlies do. That's why I would still favor them in this series, too. I just think the way they play and how battle-tested they are, they're built for this. John Moran is averaging almost 32 points in the playoffs this year. That's almost five points more than his average in the regular season. Who was the last player to take his game to that next level in the playoffs? LeBron James. Now, I'm not saying that John Moran is LeBron James, but the athletic ability that this kid has, his personality, I'm loving what this kid is, and I'm loving what this kid brings to the NBA. This Memphis Grizzly team is young and up and coming. John Moran is going to win multiple championships because he's only going to get better, and this roster is only going to get better every single year, and there will be a superstar that's going to want to go over there and play with this kid, Mm -hmm. and when that happens, watch out. (laughs) And they're a team right now with only one max contract with Steven Adams, who barely plays. The rest of this team is young. Steven Adams. They'll have to give John Morant the max contract eventually, but that's how good, young, and deep they are. Somebody's going to want to go and play over there. Could you imagine Donovan Mitchell goes and play over there? They're going to make this an enticing destination, for sure. It's fun to watch, and if you're an NBA fan, I know everybody loves the Golden State Warriors because of Steph Curry. How could you not cheer for this kid, John Morant? He's exciting to watch, jumping over six foot eight guys in an NBA playoff game. It's just fun. I'm excited for this series. I think this series is going seven, and if it does go seven, because Memphis has home court advantage, I wouldn't be surprised if they shocked the world, knock off the Golden State Warriors. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some NHL conversation. The New York Rangers tied 1-1, heading back to Pittsburgh with a third-string goaltender. D. Smith is out of this series and out of the playoffs after hurting himself in game number one in overtime. When we come back, we'll get into the Rangers and throughout the NHL playoffs, which I believe is the greatest Mm -hmm. when it comes to the playoffs in professional sports. When we come back, we'll get into some playoff hockey here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio 
Network. NHL playoffs are here. Ranger fans are going crazy. Islander fans are really being sour. A lot of people favorite to win the Stanley Cup this year was the Islanders. After starting the season the way they did, not having any home games for the first month, 11,000 miles traveling, and then the COVID situation where they lost nine players in a three-week span. It affected them. They didn't make the playoffs. They made a run at the end of the season. Islander fans, this team is going to be back in the playoffs, I believe, next year after a full season playing at home. But it's the New York Rangers time, man. Going into the playoffs, they have one of the best defensemen in the NHL who was the Norris Trophy winner last year in Fox, uh, Long Island native, Sustorkin, who has been the best goaltender throughout the regular season, who's probably going to win goalie of the year, Venzina Trophy winner. They got a player that nobody would have thought in Kreider to score 50 goals in a season. The last couple of years, he hasn't come even close to even 35 goals. And he's had a sensational year offensively under Gallant. And even Panarin, who everybody said had an off year, still had one of those good years with 70 assists. This team has played great team hockey. One of the best goals against throughout the league. Who would have thought that when they had one of the worst defenses in the league last year? So that tells you what Gallant is and what he preaches. But going into this series, you look at the Rangers and you look at the youth on this team. Obviously, the experience goes to the Penguins. With Sidney Crosby, Latang, Malkin, all these guys played 400 and some odd periods in their playoff history. Going into this series, the Rangers were the favorites because they were the most talented. And everybody is afraid of Sid Crosby because Sid always gets the call. And the Rangers... Throughout this series, they haven't been getting the call. I think they've had three power plays to the Penguins. Well, but going to this series, if you're a Ranger fan, you should be excited because they match up as well as any of these teams in the first round against their opponent. You could definitely tell the youth versus experience battle is winning with depth for the Rangers. If they're just doing top on top, they have the talent advantage, but like you were saying, the Penguins have the experience advantage, and that experience is still playing well. Sidney Crosby playing great. Jake Gensel's playing great. Chris Letang's played well. Like, these guys are playing well. It's just the rest of the team has not been, the depth guys have not been there for the Penguins, and that was to be expected. They've had some cap issues since they've won the Stanley Cup. They traded for Raquel at the trade deadline. He got hurt in game one on a big hit by Lingren that he should have gotten ejected for. That other depth really hasn't come through yet for Pittsburgh, where it has for the Rangers. Andrew Kopp's been a great trade to acquisition since they got him. He scored in Game 2. Frank Vetrano scored in Game 1. Game 2, assisted on two other goals. He's really helped elevate these other players, this other young depth that the Rangers were supposed to have. Guys like Heedle and Kako and Lafreniere that had down regular seasons. They were horrible. All yeah, of them were yeah, horrible. They were, they're not scoring prolifically, but they're still playing better with these guys in the lineup. They played too. sensational together in the second game of this series. Right. Really, all of that has to do with Vetrano and Kopp, the way they've elevated this team. The Rangers have lacked center depth for years. Vetrano's not a pure center. Kopp kind of emerged into it recently, but still hasn't played that way his whole career. But the Rangers need all they can get. Not having these face-off guys, they were the worst Eastern Conference playoff team when it comes to winning face-offs. They're doing that even better in this series. And they're overcoming the, the lack of bad non-calls and just bad calls. Yes, there was some controversy in Game 1. Definitely surprised that goal was overturned because it was called a goal on the ice. It was a tough call, close call, but it was surprising they didn't have enough evidence to overturn it. But nevertheless, they bounced back and won in Game 2 and blew them out. Absolutely. And right now, going into Pittsburgh... They have the advantage because Deming is going to be the starting goaltender throughout the rest of this playoffs. Jari's out. 
Smith is out after getting hurt in the overtimes. And if he gets hurt, you're going to your fourth-string goalie. That was your AHL backup goaltender. So the advantage definitely goes to the Rangers. They have the most talent, the by far better goaltender. Having the momentum to go into Pittsburgh is definitely an advantage when it comes to hockey. As far as the playoffs, the Panthers series, who would have thought that this series would be tied 1-1? Panthers have been the best team throughout the NHL all season long, offensively, defensively, goaltending. They've been unbelievable all around talented, one of the best penalty-killing teams, one of the best power play teams in the NHL. I know this series is 1-1. The advantage goes to the Capitals because they have the experience. This Florida Panther team is still fairly young. They have a bunch of great, talented young players on this team, but they haven't been here. They haven't done it like this Washington team has done it year in and year out. This is the same Washington team and a lot of the same players that won a Stanley Cup with Barry Trotz before Barry Trotz went to the New York Islanders. Yeah, it's a matter of can the Panthers' youngsters play well. And so far, they have. Capitals won game one. The Panthers blew a 2-1 lead. And they learned from their adversity. And most of the guys that scored for Florida in game two, a lot of them were young players. Lundell is a rookie. Mason Marchman, Carter Verhage, and their defense, which I thought was the biggest flaw for them going into the season. They trade for Ben Sherrod at the trade deadline. Ekblad and Wegar are great. The question is, can they get the other guys going? And finally, they have the goaltending. We haven't been able to say that for the Florida Panthers since your boy, Van Beesbrook. That's right. And they do have the goaltender and Bobarowski. Sensational all season long. And he's always been sensational. When he was on the Blue Jackets, mm-hmm. he's been uh, one of the best goalies, one of the top five goaltenders in the NHL. These Russian goaltenders are the best in the world. The goaltender that he's playing against was a top prospect in Samsonov, another yes. Russian goaltender. We talk about Tsterking, and then with the Tampa Bay Lightning, who I believe is the best goaltender throughout the NHL in Vasilevsky. And by the way, that series is 2-1 to one Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. It tells you a lot about this Maple Leafs team. Now, does the Maple Leafs have a chance to win this series? I think they do. This is not the same Lightning team with the depth that they had over the last couple of years. Lost a couple players. One of them went to the Rangers, but they still have the core of players there. Stamkos and Vasilevsky, Hedman. This Lightning team is talented. But what the Maple Leafs have not done since John Tavares has been there is win a series. And they have a chance. If they knock off the Lightning, the Lightning are still one of the more dangerous teams in the Eastern Conference. Could the Maple Leafs go to the Eastern Conference Championship and maybe go to the Stanley Cup Finals in the first time in 100 years? (laughs) Maybe. They're talented. They have Matthews who's one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. I hate to say it. John Tavares is one of the best all-around players offensively in the NHL. Martyr is a great player. This is a good team, and they had one of the best goalies in the NHL in Campbell. The talent has never been the problem with the Maple Leafs. It's just a matter of can they get a playoff identity and overcome the pressure, because Toronto is probably the Canadian equivalent of the big market that gets all the pressure. It has the harsh media. Toronto's that Canadian equivalent. It's the it's, New York of Canada. Yeah. This is the time for them to, if they want to prove themselves, to do it against the defending two-time Stanley Cup champions. I'm not going to believe it until I actually see it, even if they are up 3-1 to one, based on what happened last year. I'm still not going to believe it. It, but they have a lot of talent. Trade they for go Mar- up 3-1. to one, There's no way they're going to choke. No you would hope. It's the Leafs. But they do trade for some veterans to help out that team. Mark Giordano's been a nice addition since coming over from Seattle. Young depth, finally, with their offense, too. Michael Bunting had a very nice rookie year for them. David Camp, former Ranger Colin Blackwell. If they could somehow pull this off, that would be one of the biggest playoff reversals, you'll say. Carolina and the Bruins. I expect this series to be very, very close, even though Carolina, I think, is the best all-around team. The Bruins winning game number three was so very important. Maybe was the goaltending. A lot of people thought Swayman was the better goaltender of both of them. I don't know why they started with Olmark over Swayman, but Swayman played in game number three and they win the game 4-2. to two. 
Are they going to stick with Swayman? Probably. Getting that win at home for their first win of the playoffs is very big. Carolina still is going to have the advantage. They have the better all-around team. They're one of the more talented teams in the NHL. But here's the thing. They lost their two top goaltenders in Ranta and Anderson. They're playing their third-string goaltender. And that's the problem right now. If you look at what's going on in these series, you look at the Rangers series, you look at this series, if you don't have consistent goaltending, you don't have a chance in the playoffs. And you're seeing the difference of what goaltending can do when you have a great goaltender. Hurricanes had to go to Peter Kochikov for game two and played very well. Gave him a lot of credit. Even overcame being cross-checked by Brad Marshall. The Hurricanes are, skater-wise, the deepest team in the Eastern Conference. And they have great defense. They've had a great defensive identity for a while. Even bringing a couple ex-Rangers that really fell off badly. They've played serviceable enough with the Hurricanes. And to go along with Jacob Slavin, to go along with Ian Cole's been a good veteran. The offense, we know they're loaded too. Aho, Teravine, and Svechnikov, Niederreiter, they got everything. The Bruins, they're going to have to hope their top line can really carry them because they don't have the same depth they have in years past. As far as the Western Conference, the Avalanche are up right now with the Predators, two games to none. I expected this. The Avalanche is the best all-around team in the NHL. With the firepower that they have and Joe Sackick running that organization, this team has just gotten better and better. One of the best young goaltenders in the NHL. They have one of the best defensemen in the NHL. They have two of the best offensive players in the NHL in McKinnon. They're fun to watch. I expect the Avalanche to go all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Last year, a lot of people thought they were the Stanley Cup predominant champion, and they fell apart in the second round. I do not expect that to happen this year. As far as the Wild and the Blues, I really like the Blues in this series. This is the Stanley Cup champions a couple of years ago. They still have practically the same team they had when they won the Stanley Cup championships. Craig Berube is still there, and this team plays great team defense. I expect this series to go six to seven games. The Wild has been sensational all year, especially in the second half. Their goaltender in the second half of the season have been as good as any goaltender throughout the league. The Wild could win this series, and they're still very, very dangerous. I love the way the Wild are built. They have a good mixture of everything. They made a lot of good trades in order to rebuild. They were a lot like the Islanders like five years ago, surviving all those bad contracts, but they made a lot of good trades. They brought in Kevin Fiala, Ryan Hartman, a lot of these good young players, and then Matt Boldy, Kirill Kaprizov, guys they drafted have been sensational. Kaprizov had the first, I think, 45-goal year in their history. But they also have great defense. Brodeen and Dumba, they have a good mixture of everything. And they finally have the goaltending. Flurry and Talbot, too. Both have a lot of good playoff experience. Flurry's been bad at certain points, too. So we'll see if that could last. But I love the way this team is built. The Blues, I think they're still very talented. They're going to be a tough out. I don't know if they have the same depth they have in years past. That's what happens when you win the Stanley Cup. A lot of the times you have to trade people off. So I would still probably favor Minnesota. But if the Blues do advance, they're going to be a tough out, too, even against the Avalanche. Avalanche, who are deep, but can they survive the second round is another question. Calgary and Dallas, I love Calgary in this series. I think Calgary is the fastest team in the NHL. They have some great players in Goudreau and Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk, who had over 40 goals this year. He's had his best year. Good young goaltending. If Calgary gets out of this series, I would love to see Calgary versus the Avalanche in the Western Conference Championship. Mm -hmm. I would love to see that. These are two fun teams to watch. They're fast. They're young. It's weird to think. The Avalanche actually played the as an eight seed three years ago, and yeah. they, they beat him in five games when the Flames were a one. This is kind of the opposite of what we're seeing with a lot of these higher scoring series. This has been the lower scoring. Two shutouts so far. Great goaltending throughout. Dallas, I would not sleep on either. They don't have the same star power as years past, but they still have a lot of great depth, and they still have a lot of great defense, and that can win in the playoffs, too. This series is going to be pesky, physical-type hockey. When you look at the winner of this series, I think they match up very well to go very far. The Flames are very loaded throughout. I don't really trust the Oilers or the Kings. That's who they're going to have to play next. Both these teams have great depth. This is going to be a very hard fought out series. Dallas is not going to go away easily. 
As far as the Oilers and the L.A. Kings, I didn't think L.A. should have made the playoffs. I think they're the weakest team out of all the teams in the NHL playoffs. The fact that the Oilers are tied 1-1 with the firepower that they have, with Connor McDavid, the best player in hockey, probably the second or third best player in Dreisaitl, another great offensive talent. The fact that this team is tied 1-1 against the L.A. Kings that have so many weaknesses offensively, and they're just an older team. Jonathan Quick, at one point, was one of the great goaltenders in the NHL. He's now a veteran goaltender on his way out. Everybody expects the Oilers to win this series, but don't count the L.A. Kings out. We've seen this before, and the Oilers are a choke artist team over the last couple of years. The Kings are a mixture. The core is like the Penguins, old but experienced, but they also are kind of like the Rangers last year where they have a lot of young players all at once that they took a good step. Now, the division's weak. I think I don't think anyone expected Vegas to miss the playoffs at the start of the year. Nobody thought L.A. was going to make it. No, I, I think everyone was expecting Vegas and Calgary, and then it was a wild card of who that third team was going to be, whether it was Edmonton, whether it was a team like the Sharks who underperformed this year. They're playing with nothing to lose. The Oilers have all the pressure on them. McDavid, best player in hockey, Dreisaitl top five. When are they finally going to get going? They've won one playoff series. If year. they lose this series, maybe they have to trade one. Maybe Dreisaitl. If they can't win with both these guys, they, they have to bring in players that work for this roster to really take it to the next level. As good as these two players are, it's just not working. If they don't get out of this round against the LA Kings, they've won one series. They've been in the league for seven years. All right, and they've won one playoff, one playoff series. series in McDavid's second year. <laughs> and Dreisaitl's been on the team for what five and they have won one so what does that tell you maybe that they need to move one of them i don't think they're moving Connor mcdavid he's the superstar of the team he's the face of hockey right, right. now dry he's a big name teams would absolutely give a bunch of good players back for him the oilers are not that team i think if they somehow lose this series against the la kings they're gonna have to look into the offseason on yeah. where they are and what they're gonna do moving forward as an organization i agree this has to be the final straw to lose to a team that was supposed to be rebuilding <laughs> when we come back we're gonna get into some NFL draft conversation. The New York Jets, they don't get just one. They get three first-round draft picks, and the New York Giants land on their two first-round draft picks. So the Jets and the Giants winning in every category in the draft. And then we are going to have our NFL panel. Four of the great analysts when it comes to the draft. We're going to have them on the show. We're going to go through the first round, what they thought of the NFL draft when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Going into the week of the draft, you were wondering, what were the Jets going to do before Thursday? Were they going to make a trade for a wide receiver? There were stories coming out that they were in on Tyreek Hill. Didn't work out. DK Metcalf, that didn't work out. Then going into the draft week, everybody was talking about Debo Samuel, that the Jets were the leading team to land the great wide receiver on San Francisco, being that he wanted a big contract and he wanted to move to the East Coast because he's from South Carolina. John Lynch said before the draft that he had no intentions of trading Debo Samuel. A lot of Jet fans said, are the Jets going to make this move to trade away that 10th pick, trade away a certain amount of picks so they can get Debo Samuel? It was never going to happen. When the draft started, it happened fast. Walker, within three minutes of the draft starting, was called up as the number one draft pick. Do I think Walker should have been the number one pick? I didn't think Walker was a top five pick because of his size, playing for the national champion, Georgia, Bulldogs, a lot of analysts, scouts, 
seeing him on his pro day and his combine, think that this kid could turn into another Miles Garrett. The Jaguars reached on Walker. That doesn't mean Walker won't be good, but you're reaching when you have an opportunity to maybe go after Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau. Then the Lions, they call up Aiden Hutchinson, the hometown player from Michigan, the Michigan Wolverines. He grew up a Detroit Lions fan. I don't know why. Everybody believed the draft was going to start at three with the Texans. And over the last past week, as we had Daigle on the show, there was a lot of stories coming out that they really liked Derek Stingley. And that if Derek Stingley is going to be there at three, that they were going to draft him over Sauce Gardner. The Houston Texans select Derek Stingley, LSU. We knew that they needed corner depth, but it made the Jets at four in a very, very good spot to land any one of these top talented players. And a lot of Jet fans were screaming Sauce Gardner. I wouldn't be surprised if they were going to draft an offensive lineman because there were stories coming out from the Jets camp that them and Mekhi Beckham are not getting along. Mekhi Beckham last year was going into OTAs at 400 pounds and that he's overweight and he missed the whole season as Jet fans wanted to run him out when he was a top six tackle going into the season last year. The New York Jets select Sauce Gardner. Size of relief from the Jet fans. How happy that Jets organization was when they got their guy. Where a lot of people thought the Texans made a mistake drafting Derek Stingley at three. Some people say Sauce Garner is the best talented corner that they've seen since Jalen Ramsey. Some people say in the next two years is going to be the flat-out best corner in the NFL. He does, that's for sure. (laughs) As a Jet fan, you should be very, very happy that the Jets finally got their man. They haven't had a shutdown corner since Darrell Rivas. you got to contend with Stephon Diggs, who's one of the best wide receivers in the league. Tyreek Hill, Devontae Parker. He's not Tyreek Hill or Stephon Diggs, but in that offense, he is going to fit like a glove. Also, if they move Tyreek Hill around, Jalen Waddell, too. <laughs> so the Jets knew at number four, they had to land a shutdown corner. Robert Sala loves those shutdown corners. He loves leaving it to his front seven, and the only way he can leave it to his front seven is if he trusts his his secondary to stop the high-flying wide receivers that are in the AFC. Physical zone defense that Robert Sala likes to bring with not blitzing a lot. Brings a lot of pressure, though, with the front four, and the Jets got the corner to stir that up. I think it's a great compliment to Bryce Hall, who's more of a speed corner. Sauce Gardner, physical at the line. You need physical corners in today's NFL to play either a press zone or a physical type man-to-man. Don't forget about Reed. A guy you can maneuver all over the place. Another guy that can play physical. Seattle defense that has always prided themselves on physical defensive backs. Sauce Gardner is the one with that kind of upside, with that kind of ball skills to make that kind of thing work. A guy that could be locked down, not thrown at very often because he didn't allow a touchdown, only allowed one 20-yard pass in Cincinnati. That's a high-scoring conference. They play against Memphis, UCF, SMU. A lot of these offenses are high-flying offenses in college football, and he did not allow a touchdown. Go see what he did in the playoffs, what he did against Jamison Williams, one of the best wide receivers in the country. He shut him down to a negative two. And even the year before, they played against Georgia in a bowl game. He limited George Pickens. Going into the season, the Jets probably have the best secondary in that division. Third-year player in Bryce Hall, who was sensational last year. He stopped Jamar Chase, where a lot of corners could not stop him last year. Then you have Sauce Gardner, Michael Carter, who was sensational in the slot last year. So the Jets are going into the season with one of the best secondaries in football. And that bowls well for a pass-rushing team that really droughted last year without Lawson and now Jermaine Johnson. At number five, the Giants. I was very surprised that they were going to go at 
that selection with a pass rusher. Everything fell right for the New York Giants. Now, I believe that if Sauce Gardner was there at five, they were going to draft Sauce Gardner. No matter if Thibodeau was there or not, they were going to get rid of Bradbury, and Sauce could be the most talented player in this year's draft. The New York Giants select Kayvon Thibodeau. The happiness, the suit, the personality. A guy that I think wanted to come to New York, bring his sponsorships, his endorsements to a big city where he can show everybody why he believes he was the best pass rusher in this draft. Comparing his skills to Sean Merriman, he's been on our show. If he's anywhere close to Sean Merriman at the top of his game, you're talking about an all-pro, pro-ball player for the next 7 to 10 years. So if you're a Giant fan, you should be nothing but excited, Speedy. Yes, absolutely. This is the guy that I was hoping that would slide amidst somebody drafting bizarre in the first round, which the Jaguars did, as we know it, Trayvon Walker. Number one type pass rusher that they haven't had since their Super Bowl teams. Since Jason Pierre-Paul was really all alone, they haven't had that tandem. And now they have the guy to start the tandem with, with Kayvon Thibodeau. Has a great combination of moves, great explosiveness and speed on the outside. Could play 4-3 and outside linebacker and then impactful for Wink Martindale's defense. This is the best pick they could have made. There were three tackles still left. It didn't seem like the Giants had one set guy in mind. So they figured, all right, Panthers take one, we'll just take the other. And they made the right move. Number six, the Panthers went with Aquanu, Carolina native. I believe the best tackle in this year's draft. Some people say he could be a guard. And then the Giants at number seven, the Giants select Evan Neal, arguably the best tackle in this year's draft class. At one point, everybody said Evan Neal was the predominant number one pick. He was the most all-around tackle talent. Sure thing in this class as far as offensive linemen. They get Kevon Thibodeau, arguably one of the best pass rushers in the draft, and arguably the best offensive lineman, all-around offensive lineman in this draft class in Evan Neal. Yep, this is my dream scenario. Even though with the knee injury that was going to have him fall in the draft, I still don't mind that kind of thing for the Giants as long as they can manage it properly. The Giants, they need to rebuild in the best way possible. They brought in Joe Shane and Brian Dable to create a new identity to this team. Going for best player available when you have that many holes is always the best thing to do. They didn't trade back to not get those extra first round picks to reach like past GMs have done. Evan Neal to go alongside Andrew Thomas, two of the bigger offensive linemen in the league. Guys that can move around well for their size too. This is the modern NFL that the Giants have stayed away from for the last five years. They finally have it. Drake London goes to Atlanta. A lot of people thought that Atlanta was going to go with Garrett Wilson. The Jets were trying to move up because they really wanted Garrett Wilson. Then there were stories coming out that teams were trying to trade up for Garrett Wilson at nine. And if that happened, the Jets were willing to move up with Seattle the same Seattle team that traded that number 10 pick for Jamal Adams. Seattle gets that number 9 pick from the Broncos, trading Russell Wilson. Seattle goes across. So at number 10, everything fell together for the New York Jets. Shutdown corner. And they get their guy in Garrett Wilson. Jet fans were excited. The best explosive player at that position in this year's draft class. A lot of people thought it was going to be Jermaine Johnson. There were stories coming out at the Jets camp that they loved him in his pro day. Loved his interview. But it was Garrett Wilson. So Jet fans were not upset about that. Garrett Wilson is durable. Complete wide receiver. And he's the best scheme fit. He can go deep. Great with contested catches. Even though he's not the biggest size guy. He, he plays can... big because of and his strength. the best route runner. You need that kind of guy in this type of offense. I think the Jets nailed this pick. Everyone was wanting to try to trade that pick for Debo Samuel. He's, I think, going to be a better pure wide receiver than Debo Samuel. Even if he isn't the all-around runner and stuff like that, he could still be used as that, too. And I think he's a better, more talented wide receiver. He could do everything Debo Samuels could do. He's not as big as Debo, and I think he's faster than Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel is not that guy that's going to go out there and, and make those unbelievable catches when you're going deep. This guy could beat you on every single level. You could put him in the slot. You could put him on the outside. This guy, they believe, is going to be their number one wide receiver for the next 10 years. How 
having Elijah Moore there and the weapons that they have, this is going to be a fun, explosive team to watch. It all depends on Zach Wilson. If Zach Wilson is the real deal, this team is going to take leaps and bounds this year with the weapons they have added. Now going throughout this draft, the trades is what really surprised a lot of people. Something popped up on the screen that there was a trade. It was breaking news. A.J. Brown was traded from Tennessee because he wanted his money. $25 million a year for four years worth $100 million. And at 18, the Tennessee Titans draft Traylon Burks, who a lot of people compare his skills to A.J. Brown. I don't know if he's A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown's done it in the NFL, and he's one of the top five receivers in the league. It's going to take Traylon Burks a little bit to figure out this offense because he doesn't come from an NFL-style offense. He's going to a team that had A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and a high-flying offense for the last couple of years, so there's a lot of pressure on this kid. Skill-wise, he's not far behind what A.J. Brown was as a prospect. Year-to-year, game-to-game, A.J. Brown has the advantage there, whereas Burks, I think, has a little more raw traits, especially quickness at the line of scrimmage, which is vital in today's game. In terms of Brown trade to the Eagles, the Eagles did what they had to do to get that number one type receiver they've been lacking for years. They don't draft him greatly on their own, so they figure, all right, let's just take one that another team worked at and, get, and succeed. Best move they could do, they only had to give up a one and a three. Again, they probably would have drafted one in that spot, too. They probably would have drafted Burke, so they would have drafted some weird second-round receiver if they didn't. And there were stories coming out from the Jets camp that they were trying to move up all the way from 15 to get back into the first round with their mm-hmm. two second-round draft picks because they wanted Jermaine Johnson. And as the draft was going by, everybody was surprised that Jermaine Johnson was still on the board because he was on everybody's board as a top 10 player, a top 10 talent in this year's draft. Some people had Jermaine Johnson as their number one pass rusher on their board. You were wondering, are the Jets going to be able to move up? And is Jermaine Johnson going to get drafted? I was very surprised that Jermaine Johnson wasn't drafted by the Cowboys. They needed that other pass rusher. Micah Parsons really had a lot of pressure on him last year as the Defensive Rookie of the Year. Lawrence is really becoming a washed-up player. He's not the same player he once was. He got an extended on his contract. They lose Gregory to free agency to the Broncos. They needed that other pass rush. I was very surprised that the Cowboys went with Tyler Smith over arguably one of the top five talents in this NFL draft. It wasn't even just the Cowboys. Green Bay, I was thinking, the Ravens, Arizona, if they kept their pick, could have gone with another end rusher because they lost Chandler Jones. For a premier position, a speed guy like that with a lot of upside, I'm definitely surprised he fell the way he did. I thought of him as the number three pass rusher. I had a man of Trayvon Walker. Top six talent on my board. More consistent than Kayvon Thibodeau this year. I would have taken him over Kayvon Thibodeau. I would have taken him over Walker. The only person I probably wouldn't have taken him over is Aiden Hutchinson. And at 26, Six, as the Tennessee Titans were sitting there again, the Jets finally made a deal. And the Jets traded the fifth. They swapped third round picks with Tennessee, their early second round pick, and they got Tennessee's 26th pick in the first round. And everybody, including me, knew where the Jets were going as Jermaine Johnson was sitting. And by the way, Jermaine Johnson was still on the board, and George Kaloftis was there. I don't think the Jets had any interest in George Kaloftis. And if Jermaine Johnson wasn't there, the Jets probably wouldn't have traded up. Or they would have traded up for Brees Hall. But But at 26, they select... Jermaine Johnson. And did the Jets win the first round after landing Jermaine Johnson? Absolutely. Every analyst on the NFL Network, on ESPN, every single analyst was shocked that Jermaine Johnson was still on the board at 26. If all three of these guys turn out to be superstars on this team, this could change this franchise finally for the better. I was thinking the Jets, all right, once they took Sauce Gardner, they'll draft Jermaine Johnson at 10 and trade back in for a wide receiver because after Jermaine Johnson, besides maybe Carl Loftus. I don't think they had any interest in trading up to get a guy like George Loftus. right. You were thinking, okay, they're going to look at the run of the pass rushers, take Jermaine Johnson at 10, trade back in for a wide receiver, or trade for a 
veteran wide receiver. The Jets knew that if they drafted Jermaine Johnson at 10, there was no chance they were going to get Garrett Wilson. Maybe not Garrett Wilson, but maybe another wide receiver is what I'm they saying. They loved Garrett Wilson. If I believe Garrett Wilson was their number one target throughout this draft. In that case, you get the dream scenario now. These other teams pass on a pass rusher that has that much speed, that much upside. Of course you're going to bolt right in. Joe Douglas said after the draft that he got his three top players on his board mm-hmm. in the first round. And who would have thought that all three of them would have fell the right. way they did? And could this change the Jets' future for the better? Absolutely. Because I think this draft is going to change everything for the New York Jets. Because you got yourself a pass rusher for the future. You got yourself a corner for the future. You have yourself a wide receiver for the future. The only thing that scares me now is that when these guys in five years become free agents, who are you going to bring back? Who are you going to sign? And who you're right. not going to be able to sign? In the next five years, you're going to have to win with these guys because to bring all four of these guys back, and I'm talking about Brees Hall, where the Jets were trying to trade up in the first round to get the best running right. back. They have to win in the next four to five years because you're going to have to pay Zach Wilson if he's the real deal. And I don't know if they're going to be able to squeeze all four, all three of these guys in when they become free agents. That's the draft. The Jets and the Giants did very well. The Jets did very well in the second round, adding Brees Hall, moving up with the Giants to get the star running back. So the Jets are positioned very, very well. There's no excuses for Zach Wilson this year. With the weapons that the Jets added in this year's draft in free agency, especially the offensive linemen and Lankin Tomlinson, this team should be light years better than they were last year with the firepower that they have. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our NFL panel here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. A little Nas over there. And why not Nazi on up with our draft panel as I introduce... Lance Sanderson from the Mile High Huddle, Travis May from Roto-Viz, John Vogel from Football Sapien, and Ray Cotto from All-22. What is going on, boys? Evening. Glad to be here. How we doing? Yeah. How we doing? Well, as a Jet fan, I'm not jumping off a bridge today. If you're a Jet fan, you should be happy for what Joe Douglas did round number one, and really throughout the draft, moving up for Brees Hall. I want to know each and every one of your thoughts in the first round, and your thoughts on winners and losers of this year's draft. Walker goes one to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Lance, what did you think about Walker going to the Jaguars? Well, I thought it was a reach, quite honestly. The the best player in this draft was Kyle Hamilton. Everybody knows that a safety is not going to go number one overall. And then there's Aiden Hutchinson as well. Why are you not taking the best pass rusher in this class? He's a great edge defender. He's a great run defender. Got really good length. Going Travon Walker without all of the the productivity, and even the productivity that he did have was false productivity. 49% of his sacks over the, the course of his career were from single coverage or from covered sacks alone. Now, versatile, he can play it inside just a little bit. You slide him down inside to the five technique. He likes to play off the edge with his hand in the dirt. To me, he was a top 10 player, but he's not the top one player. John, what did you think about Aiden Hutchinson going number two to the Lions? Perfect scheme fit. Exactly what Dan Campbell wants in a player. If you remember last year when the Lions hired Dan Campbell in his first press conference, he talked about, we're going to go out there and we're going to bite some kneecaps off. And that's Aiden Hutchinson. He's a big hustle player. To piggyback a little bit off of Lance, I don't think Aiden would have worked very well 
in Jacksonville because he's more of a 3-4 rush edge. You want to stand him up and run him after the passer. And Doug Peterson's going to be running more of a four-man front, which is going to call for two traditional defensive ends. I would have gone Kayvon Thibodeau there, but they thought that Trayvon was better. Trayvon's very good with his lower and upper body being synced together so that if he has one of those in the right spot, he can use the other to get in and make a play. Going back to Aiden, couldn't be a better story. He's going to be very productive for them. Travis, what did you think about Derek Stingley? Some people thought it was sauce, maybe going after an offensive lineman like Iquanu. What did you think when you heard Derek Stingley's name come up? It's not a surprise. We saw a lot of the early first round be high pedigree, top tier athletes, and and Derek Stingley, coming out of high school, he was like the top five player in the entire country in his class. And as a true freshman, just dominated in the SEC, looking like one of the best corners in the nation at age 18. He struggled with health. Maybe there's some questions with his health, but the skill set has always been there. Dating back to 77 days, we've known Derek Stingley was going to go pro. He could have gone pro as a wide receiver had he gone that route at LSU. A freak athlete. And if you want to get the best upside kind of corner in a pretty good corner class, Derek Stingley was the pick. No doubts when it comes to Derek Stingley's talent. We're talking to our draft panel, Lance Anderson from Mile High Huddle, Travis May from Roto Viz, John Vogel from Football Sapien, and Ray Cotto from All 22. Ray, what did you think about Sauce going to the New York Jets at number four? Really the weakest spot on the Jets roster heading into the draft night was for sure the secondary. I think it was an easy selection to really shore that up. It's definitely the safer option in relation to uh, Derek Stingley. Uh, I do think Stingley has that upside. Questions about his foot, whereas Gardner is definitely more steady. He's got the length you're looking for quiet confidence about him has that streak of not giving up a touchdown if you're facing Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle twice a year I'm not sure that's going to last for another three years <laughs> but a really solid steady option and just was with a gaping hole for the Jets to really fill so you definitely can't hate the process or the pick there Lance Giants going at five a lot of people thought they were going offensive line they were very interested in Charles Cross but it fell right Kayvon Thibodeau was sitting there what were your thoughts them going with a pass rusher at five and not an offensive lineman so I think that they actually played the board right here because the offensive linemen were still falling. You didn't get a Kwana, you didn't get Neil, you didn't get a Charles Cross. So you knew that one of those three players was still going to get to you at the number seven overall pick. So to go and get arguably the best pass rusher in this class, a freak athlete, the length, the strength, the ability to play against the run, the bend, the athleticism, to get him at five, it's a smart move there because you don't know what the Panthers are going to do at number six overall. So to get Kayvon and then to wait for Neil to fall to you at number seven, that to me was a great move. Being that Aquana was still on the board, a lot of people thought he was a top three pick. Aquana was the best offensive lineman going into this draft. Evan Neal five months ago was, but his knee problems, knees aren't 100% healthy. But Aquana was sitting there at five. Why don't you draft Aquana and take a chance? Did anybody think somebody was going to trade up for Kayvon Thibodeau? I would have went Aquanu number five and then waited for Kayvon Thibodeau at number seven. Then you would have gotten the best offensive lineman and arguably the second or third best pass rusher in this year's draft. I guess the biggest thing to me would be the fit. Where do you play Aquanu? Is he a tackle? Is he a guard? I think that he was the best tackle in this class and I would have put him at the right side. Is it the scheme fit there? And what do you view Kayvon Thibodeau? What is the pass rush like with the Giants? They needed to have that pass rusher and to have somebody trade up maybe the Atlanta Falcons were in a potential trade-up scenario there. Who knows about the New Orleans Saints, whether they want to come and get an edge rusher. To get that next best edge rusher off the board and not risk him falling to number seven, that was the right move. 
John, were you surprised that Ikem Aquano went number six to the Carolina Panthers? What were your thoughts that Carolina went with arguably the best offensive lineman in this year's draft? I think Carolina got it right. He didn't reach for the quarterback, which was a good thing because there was no point in taking a quarterback at six. There's no upgrade. At least it was obvious over Sam Darnold in this class. Take the offensive tackle. People talk about him having some versatility. I guess I could see that a little bit. He doesn't have much experience playing on the right side, so I think he's going to play on the left. Build the trenches. That's where you're going to win football games. I think he's actually from Charlotte, so it was his team. So he definitely wasn't disappointed to go there. I think all business, like he just wants to take it in. Your name's officially called. You're in Las Vegas. You're dressed nicer than you have been in your entire life, and uh, I'm not sure how I would react. I don't want my offensive tackle to look happy. Keep it a cool head. You got to look cool. Ray, Kayvon Thibodeau doesn't want your team's offensive tackles to look happy. (laughs) No, he doesn't. Still a young pup, and Tyron Smith probably knows a thing or two. He'll probably show him it's still a youngin in the league. You're talking about one of the most intelligent players in the class. College scholarship offers to Harvard and Yale and Stanford knows what the business of football is. And for him to go out there and just be stone cold sober about being drafted, that's a big deal. Like he understands we have to be all business or all professional. Travis, what did you think? Evan Neal falling to the Giants at number seven. A lot of people were very surprised that he was sitting there at seven. Stories coming out saying that his knees aren't 100%. That's why he lost all that weight. What were your thoughts of Evan Neal going to the Giants at number seven? The no-brainer pick once you got that far with Evan Neal. If you want to nitpick a few reps against LSU, a few reps against Georgia and Miami in week one, it almost looked like he was playing lazy, a couple snaps, whatever. The truth is he's a monstrous human being who's 6'8", 340, and coming out of high school, he was listed at 360, but he was heavier. Freak of a human being who shouldn't even be able to move like he does. Upside play, versatility play, strength play, pedigree, everything. Coming from the program that sends the most draft picks to the (laughs) NFL, I am surprised he didn't go ahead of Vicky. He's really good, but I think even coming into the process, he was like a three-star because he just doesn't look the part necessarily, but he's just a monster. They're both incredible, but I was a little surprised that Evan Neal went to seven. We have our draft panel on Lance Sanderson from Mile High Huddle, Travis May from Roto Viz, John Vogel from Football Sapien, and Ray Cotto from All 22. Mr. Ray, Drake London is the first wide receiver off the board. What were your thoughts of him going to the Atlanta Falcons? The Falcons really go to the beat of their own drum on draft night. I had Garrett Wilson as my top guy. Falcons really don't care what anyone else thinks whenever they draft, (laughs) whether it's just passing on CD and taking Terrell, and that seemed to actually be working out pretty well for them. They just had such a gaping hole at receiver, so many needs. I don't hate London. I think he separates better than he's given credit for and what people think based off of his size. Wilson was clearly my number one receiver. They're going to be pretty down for a while there until they really address quarterback position and really shore up that roster. It's going to take a couple years either way. There was no quarterback there. That really made sense. So don't reach for one. Ride it out with Mariota and do what you got to do. John, I think it was you who had some concerns with London. I'm right there with Ray that Garrett Wilson was the best wide receiver in this class. I definitely had some concerns with London. And it's not just the injury history. Everybody talks about him being a contested catch machine. I just didn't see that. Caught under 50% of his contested targets while in college, especially this past year. And he had some issues with drops, 8% rate last year alone before he got hurt. So yeah, he's putting up monster numbers, but he's a volume guy and he's great after the catch. I just didn't see a lot of the stuff that people were talking about with him. Garrett Wilson has my one, but I disagree in terms of contested. Good, I like this. He had, at minimum, he had 17 contested catches last year in eight games, double digit targets in every single game because he was the best wide receiver in the nation. He was unstoppable. They were not going to throw the ball to anybody else and no one could stop him. And I love that. It was just hilarious trying to see teams 
try different ways to stop him, whether it's bracket coverage, whether it was punching at the line and, and then just trying to get in his way. There was no stopping London. So I still like Garrett Wilson a little bit more, but man, London definitely deserved to be an early first. London was so good, even Clay Helton's coaching couldn't stop him. <laughs> yeah, even Clay Helton and changing quarterbacks. He was putting up with so much and yet still dominating. 120 targets in eight games. That's insane. How about number 10, Lance? The New York Jets. Stories going out that they were going to trade for Debo Samuel. Didn't work out. The Jets were offering the 10th and a 5th round pick. They were not going with that. What were your thoughts of the Jets drafting arguably the best wide receiver in this draft class, Garrett Wilson? I heard that it was a 1st and a 3rd they were offering to Debo Samuel. Essentially the same package that the Titans got for A.J. Brown. But to get Garrett Wilson, a guy that can stretch the field vertically, he works really well over the middle of the field. You can line him up outside. You can line him up in the slot. Not the biggest guy. He plays a lot bigger than that. He's very physical. He does a really good job creating separation. To go get that number one wide receiver, he was my number one wide receiver there. And a guy that fits in with what the Jets want to do vertically, stretching the football down the field. And then also with Zach Wilson, the ability to push the football down vertically. That's a good pick for me. Their next pick, Jermaine Johnson sliding. I thought Jermaine Johnson was going to go at 10 for them to get him later and also still get Garrett Wilson. That's a huge haul for the Jets. I was very impressed with what they were able to do. Tennessee was on the clock. They traded with the Jets. The Jets really didn't give up as much as a lot of people thought they were going to have to give up for Jermaine Johnson. What were your thoughts when the Jets traded up from the second round to 26 with Tennessee to get arguably one of the best pass rushers in this draft class. It really didn't surprise me to see them go up and go get Jermaine Johnson because I heard buzz that they were willing to take him at number four and see if Sauce Gardner fell all the way to number 10 because they had intel that the Seahawks were on Derek Stingley at number nine. When Stingley went at number three to the Houston Texans, they decided we'll get Sauce Gardner here. Garrett Wilson didn't go at number eight to the Falcons like he was going to. Jermaine Johnson just kept falling. To move up and go and get a guy that they had as a top 10 player on their board, they were calling everybody from 15 down. And finally found a trade partner to go and get a guy that they had as a top 10 player on their board. You're talking twitchy, strong, athletic, couldn't fit in on the Georgia roster. So he transferred to Florida State and then absolutely shined down there. Destroyed the senior bowl, was one of the best players there in one-on-one. Number four edge defender on the board to get him at number 26 overall. It's a genius move to have those guys get Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, and Jermaine Johnson, who were all three top 10 players on their board is Tremendous. At number 12, Travis Trade comes in. Okay, the Lions are jumping up. They're drafting a quarterback. That's what everybody thought was going to happen. I was watching Jared Goff's camera on his Twitter after the name got called. Sigh of relief. What were your thoughts of the Lions trading up with Minnesota to number 12 and drafting a very talented wide receiver in Jamison Williams? Well, if you can't get Garrett Wilson and you can't get Chris Olave, you might as well get their backup. That's who Jamison Williams was until the spring of 2021. He was buried. Former top 100 recruit coming out of high school. So it was really odd. He was kept on the bench and maybe going to be their wide receiver for last season had Jameson Williams decided to stay. And so going to Alabama and immediately showing up and dominating all of the work, basically taking John Mechie's job. Like John Mechie is a top 50 pick this year and Jameson Williams shows up and like, by the way, I'm way better than you. I know you're still going to get a lot of targets, but I'm going to have the more efficient production and put up a, almost 1,600 yards through the air. Jameson Williams is an incredibly impressive finish to his career. It makes me curious just thinking about what could have been had he just seen the field from year one. He could have had one of the best profiles we've ever seen given his explosion in 2021. And yeah. it's also something about those Ohio State backups transferring to the SEC and exploding out to the sea and then getting drafted <laughs> highly and having more success than the guys ahead of them at Ohio State. Burrow and now maybe Jameson too. And a lot 
Lions decided to trade up and get Jamison Williams when he got ejected from the Iron Bowl for targeting during a punt return. Goes hard, man. Before the ACL injury to Jamison Williams, was he your number one wide receiver as well? Because quite honestly, he was top 10 pick in my opinion. Like he's got elite route running. He's got the burst. He's got the ability to take the, the top off the defense. He's got good hands. He has the contested catch ability. He plays with a physicality that doesn't match his size. Jamison Williams was receiver two with Olave three and Drake London four. I'm not a Drake London end by any stretch of the imagination. What the Falcons did at number eight overall to get him was mind-boggling to me. I thought they should have went Garrett Wilson there. And even after losing Calvin Ridley, Jamison Williams coming off the ACL injury, you're in a rebuild anyways. You don't need to have him immediately available. He's a perfect Calvin Ridley replacement. That guy is good enough to be a true wide receiver one. And for him to slide down and for the Lions to trade up to get him and not go quarterback blew me away. For Jamison Williams to go as the fourth wide receiver off the board was just mind-boggling. The Falcons, maybe they're trying to break the pattern or not drafting Alabama wide receivers. <laughs> We're talking to our draft panel, Lance Sanderson from the Mile High Huddle, Travis May from Roto-Viz, John Vogel from Football Sapien, Ray Cotto, full 22, Kyle Hamilton going to the Ravens. I can't believe he fell to the Ravens. If you turn on tape of Kyle Hamilton at Notre Dame, there's two teams really in any draft, especially when you're scouting defensive players that you say, that guy belongs on this team and Kyle Hamilton belongs on the Baltimore Ravens. He's physical. He's fluid. He's fast. He covers really well. One of the best tackling safeties you've seen in the draft. And I don't give a damn about the 4-5-7-40. You realize that Ed Reed, the best single high center fielder safety we've ever seen play in the NFL, ran a 4-5-9. This was a perfect fit. And for them to get a top five player, it was my number two overall player on the board. I had uh, Ikea Kwan number one. To get a top five player to fall all the way to 14, you don't have to move up to get him. And he fills a major need for your team. And he's a perfect fit for what you want to do. This is a home run selection for me. What were your thoughts, Ray, with the trade? A.J. Brown, the Eagles trading with the Tennessee Titans. For A.J. Brown, they draft Traylon Burks. What did you think about that move? It was interesting because I had the Titans before the draft as a team that had maybe a two-year window to make a run. Henry's getting up there. He's got some mileage. You saw the injury coming up. It had Brown. You took a look at that team a week ago, and you said, hey, in two years, the offense is going to look pretty different. I'm not sure that window's still going to be open for these guys. Then they went ahead and traded Brown. I get the whole, hey, you don't want to pay this guy $20, $25 million, so you get another big body physical wide receiver. Burks has a lot of questions to me. That offense, don't know if it's because they had no quarterback over there at Arkansas. That's why he doesn't run a full route tree, and they just wanted to get the ball in his hands because he's their best athlete. Or if he just can't do it. Maybe he doesn't have that fluidity that you see in someone like a Chris Olave. The other thing that wasn't talked about enough, he's got some weight control issues. They were talking about, oh, he was up to 240 after the regular season and had to get back down for the combine. When was the last time we really talked about a wide receiver who had to control his weight working out for a long <laughs> period of time in this league? Doesn't happen. Kelvin Benjamin was good for a year or so, and that's about it. It's definitely a risk on the part of Tennessee. And so for the Eagles, you come out of Thursday night with Jordan Davis, AJ Brown, and you still have your two first next year after robbing the Saints you had a number one receiver to your team and still keep those first next year that's really good GMing right there we have actually have a Titans fan in this panel Travis what was your reaction to your star receiver getting traded on draft night I was on a few different live stream shows I was in the middle of a show and I didn't have the TV in front of me 
And the guys just all went like, what just happened? Like all at the same time. And they know I'm a Titans fan. I was like, AJ Brown's no longer a Titan, by the way. A shock. It was rough because we have Nick Westbrook, Akina, not a whole lot else. They already needed another wide receiver. They picked uh, up that Robert was, Woods, did they not? He's like older and coming off an injury. He's not even going to be the same player either. I'm not sold on their offense this year, which stinks because like Traylon Burks, He's really talented, but there's going to be all this pressure on him to immediately just slot in as this A.J. Brown copy. A.J. Brown was like this big slot at Ole Miss back in the day. He slid outside when D.K. Metcalf missed some time, but he was mainly that big slot in that role that Traylon Burks primarily did at Arkansas. It was a lot of schematic production from both of them. Burks is just weird, though, like a freaking unicorn. Like, he's 230-plus pounds, and he was a slot guy. Bunch of screen production, go balls where he mossed people. Like, I don't even know how to compare him to just about anybody. Just a really odd prospect that a lot of people count to AJ Brown, but he really wasn't even that. Dude, like, does boar hunting with his bare hands. Maybe he's got to hang out with your own assessments. Cap-wise, a win. For the future, this could be great. The biggest comparison you can get, and they're not athletically the same, but the way that they use him at Arkansas, uh, comparing to Debo Samuel, Traylon Burks was a guy that I was a lot lower on. I was surprised to see him go that high and to see the Titans let go of AJ Brown, who I think is a top 10 receiver in this league when you have good quarterback play around him. I understand the salary cap implications. You want to reset the position and get a, a guy that profiles similarly to what you want to do with AJ Brown. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. And then to see them lose AJ Brown. Just, eh. John, what were your thoughts of Kenny Pickett being the first quarterback off the board to the Pittsburgh Steelers? Kudos to Pittsburgh. They pulled off the biggest misinformation campaign ever. <laughs> Seems like every year we go into the draft and we're like, we know exactly who the Steelers are picking. Everybody knew they loved Najee. It feels like every year. And this year it was Malik Willis. And under the radar, under the card table, was Kenny Pickett the entire time. So I wanted to kind of question it at first. I have my own concerns with Pickett. And I know that a lot of people feel like he's the most pro-ready quarterback in the class. And I can kind of see that in terms of the offense that they played at Pitt and his skill set. I had some issues with his consistency in structure. A lot of his highlights when you turn them on are out of structure and he's improvising to make plays, which is fine. That's a good trait to have. I just want to see that more consistently inside the pocket. You kind of need that to win in the league. But if anybody has any idea about what this guy is made of and how ready he is, it's going to be Pittsburgh because they're working in the same facility. Overall, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, it's going to be bad because I've been wrong about quarterbacks before. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say, yeah, they, they know better than anybody. I hope they know better than anybody <laughs> because before that, the biggest reach in the draft to me was Trevor Penning, but that lasted for about 10 minutes. I had Trevor Penning 40 to 50. Penning, I saw a guy that was too stiff and tight in the hips there really for tackle, but then too tall and linear, not flexible enough inside. I draft him. I don't know where I'm going to put him to say, okay, here's my first round pick. I could mold this guy into a pro bowler in three years. I just didn't see that with Penning at all. I really thought holding was, penalties too last well, year. And he's not facing great competition. And as for Pickett, he better be pro ready at this point. He's like turning 24 and was in college for like six years. I share your concerns there. What are you doing in structure as opposed to outside the pocket when plays break down against UNC? I want to see stuff that translates. And I really didn't see that in his game. He kind of reminded me of kind of like a slightly bigger Trace McSorley with a little bit better timing in his game. I really didn't see it with any of the quarterbacks in this class for first round picks. I wouldn't have done it. I want to know, I'll go with you first, John. Winners in this year's draft. I think the Jets did a really great job getting those three guys in the first round. I like what the Giants did. People were a little critical at times, but they took their guy, Wandale Robinson, the receiver out of Kentucky in the second round. He's going to be a very good player, and he's going to fit what they want. After that, Baltimore for sure. They just drafted the best talent that was there. Now they can sit there in their 13 personnel and run the ball with Lamar Jackson and have that option of being able to throw. I really like what the Titans did. 
the trade was a little bit off to move AJ Brown like that. But when you look at the rest of everything else they did, they've restocked that offense to continue on building and kind of open up that window a little bit more. You can move on from Ryan Tanhill next year if Malik Willis is refined enough. Drafted this nucleus of talent to go around him. Hassan Haskins is a great running back out of Michigan. Kyle Phillips is an awesome slot receiver out of UCLA. Chago Conquo, the tight end out of Maryland, blew up the Shrine Bowl. And to finish out, I'm an Eagles fan, so I'm going to say Eagles. Getting Dean in the third round, getting Davis up there, stockpiling, hanging on to next year, because if Jalen Hurts isn't the real deal, we'll know at the end of next year. They've got two first-round picks to move up and go get one of these top mm-hmm. quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I remember the last time we had you on the show, you were actually pretty critical of Sauce Gardner. So have you kind of changed your tune with that? Or? If you're a taller corner and you're in zone coverage, sometimes that helps you. My issue with taller corners is you don't have great reactionary athleticism, so you don't react to a cut or a really good route because your pad level is higher. And so when you're playing zone, you're more reading and you're reacting that way. The nature of of it fits. The Jets want to do what Seattle did, the Legion of Boom, and so Gardner fits that. I'm still not 100% sold, but I think in terms of a situation, he's not going to be asked to play a lot of man coverage. He'll be fine. How about you, Mr. Cotto? Top two, I don't want to sound too redundant. It's the Ravens and the Eagles. The the NFL lets the Ravens do this every year. Hamilton, Linderbaum, Travis Jones, Eagles, Davis, and then Brown. The Jets as well. I had a little bit of an issue, not so much with the player. I just think sometimes when you're still another year or two away, I don't love taking running backs terribly early, even though it's not the first round, but they more than made up for it, in my opinion, with Jeremy Ruckert, just because Ohio State just pretends that the tight ends don't exist in the passing game doesn't mean this guy can't really do it all. You like Jeremy Rucker, huh? I do. I think there's very few tight ends out there where you can say whether you're in line or in the slot hey, go ahead and run a corner route 15 yards downfield, get separation, go up and get the ball and come down in bounds, then go up the seam or make some hard cuts. I think he can really do it all. I'm looking at the Chiefs. Trent McDuffie, I like that. George Karloftis, I like that. Sky Moore, I love that. Brian Cook, I like it. Tough safety there. Leo Chanel inside there at linebacker. You got Bolton there. I love that. Josh Williams, I love the intrigue there at corner. Darian Kennard falling as far as he did. It's not as big of a steal as Trey Smith was, but it's still a quality pickup that late in the Lance. Number one is definitely the Ravens. Kyle Hamilton, I had number two on my board. Tyler Lindenbaum, 35 on my board. David Ojabo, who was number 22 on my board. And then you get Travis Jones, who was number 29 on my board. Four players in my top 25. Kansas City Chiefs. You get to trade it for Trent McDuffie, George Karloftis, you get Sky Moore, you get Brian Cook, Detroit Lions. Going up and getting Jamison Williams is probably a little bit of a reach to me without getting the quarterback. You've got a quarterback there. The pair with Amon Ross, Aiden Brown, with Jamison Williams, you get Aiden Hutchinson, who is a, a top five player on my board as well. Jamison Williams, before the injury, was a top 10 player on my board. Your worst draft on your board. The one that didn't make a lot of sense, probably Atlanta. They had a couple good picks here and there. Desmond Ritter in the third round when he was there, that was a good fit. As my good friend Thor Nystrom at NBC Sports Edge likes to say, mainland Mariota is what he calls him. And that's basically what Desmond Ritter is. I think he's the best quarterback in this class. He could be. And I think one of the biggest concerns with him initially was being able to overcome adversity And when things get difficult, when they're out of the structure, he improved on that this year and talked about how being coming a parent really helped with all of that as well as we got to do the best we can with what happens. I didn't think they had a lot of fits. And then Dallas, really bad in in the beginning of the draft, but they ended up finishing out really well, getting some good depth later on in the fourth and fifth round specifically. So I thought it was very unwise to take Sam Williams in the second. I didn't think Tyler Smith was a great idea in the first, unless you have an absolute surefire plan for him. Ray! 
How about you? First, when someone asks me, okay, worst draft, the initial thought that comes to my head is Pittsburgh, right? Just because I really don't like Kenny Pickett there. I think that's a major reach. I think really any of the quarterbacks at that spot would have been a major reach. But then they kind of make up for it in the sense that they do this fairly often. They grab Pickens and they uh, they grab uh, Calvin Austin the third. Uh, in the second and fourth round, respectively there. And Leal is intriguing. I got some concerns with him, but there's some upside there uh, with their third-round pick. So they kind of made up for it there in in day two with some of those picks. But if I had to say I'm not thrilled with anyone, it would be Pittsburgh. I still think there's just a lot of holes in that roster there. And I guess it's credit to them with kind of sticking with their board and not just reaching for a certain need in the sense that they did take Pickens and, and Calvin Austin there, despite already having what Claypool and Deontay over there at receiver. They always seem to find very good receivers in the day two range. So I get it. I just think it's a reach there at, at the quarterback spot. And that's obviously critically important. You still have offensive line issues so if I had to say one it would be uh, I guess Pittsburgh and then similar to what I said earlier with the Saints you know again it's not that I don't love Chris Olave it's just kind of their process and getting there with the multiple trade-ups not sure it's worth it there and then penning again I've got penning in you know probably in the mid second round range at best I just have a lot of concerns with his fit there but I did like the DeMarco Jackson pick in the fifth uh, the linebacker out of Appalachian State but if I'm coming out of your draft and I'm saying, oh, I like one pick and you got another good player there, you know, in the first round, that's not too great. And so those are the two real ones. I don't know if I want to stretch for a third. I guess it's Jacksonville again. <laughs> that's why they end up here, you know, year after year. But like, I like Fortner. I like the center out of Kentucky. He's a tough, scrappy player. Got some flaws in his game, but I like him. I do like Devin Lloyd. Walker, you know, you're betting on upside there, I guess. To go but, one? Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely yeah. betting on an upside. <laughs> oh, my and God. It's more and more gambling. You know, there's betting and there's gambling. That's gambling, well, i That's say. gambling, all right. Um, gambling for so, it to fail. Those would be my three, He'll be playing. I can see what the Steelers Walker the, will be uh, playing with the Cowboys game. in four years. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. They, they love their former first-rounders that flame out somewhere else. They, they do take those shots. Dante <laughs> Fowler says hello, so... There you go, another ex-Jaguar. You guys at the collection. How about you, Mr. Lance? It's not that I necessarily hate what they did. I just hate how the board fell for the Green Bay Packers. Desperately needed to go and get a wide receiver. And at 22 overall, they reached a little bit on Quay Walker. I, I liked him. I liked him a lot. I liked the athletic profile. But Devin Lloyd was linebacker one. Quay Walker was number two. And uh, to see them go linebacker and not wide receiver there, a trade out would have been probably the best way to go there. But then they also went defense with the 28th overall pick and got Devontae Wyatt. While I love the players, I find it so hard to believe that with all of the drama that they had going on with Aaron Rodgers over the last two seasons, they had to pay him all this money and they got rid of Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Scantling walked, that like their wide receiver core going into the draft had Rico Gafford as wide receiver. (laughs) I don't know if you guys know who Rico Gafford is. I'm a Wyoming guy. I I live in Wyoming. Rico Gafford was a backup cornerback at the University of Wyoming before he went undrafted in the NFL and switched positions to be a wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. You're talking about that's wide receiver four on that roster. Alan Lazard is a, a okay player. They then also get the ghost of Sammy Watkins to pair next to the corpse of Randall Cobb. And that's their wide receiver core. And you don't figure out a way to package 22 and 28 to go and get a receiver. I will say they did a good job in going and getting Christian Watson. Like that filled their need there. They went and got Samari Toure out of Montana. Montana at first and then Nebraska is where he transferred to. Shout out to my Grizz as well. Family in Helena. That draft just did not make a lot of sense to me. The Jacksonville Jaguars 
Mars again, going back to what Ray said, <laughs> taking Travon Walker at number one overall, trading back in to go get Devin Lloyd at the linebacker position after you move on from Miles Jackson for whatever the hell reason. You signed <laughs> Foyasad Aluakan from the Atlanta Falcons at $15 million a year, and then you draft a, another player there. And then they go and get Chad Muma as well to fill out a linebacker position that does not mesh well together by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> it does not make sense to me. And then the third, sorry to John here, the New England Patriots drafted Cool Strange was not a great move to me. And I understand there's there's been a lot of insider information come out that says that Cool Strange was not going to make it through the second round. Some teams even said that he wasn't even going to make it through number 40 overall. I get that. Now, if, if you got that information, you take that into a vacuum. I understand it. And it, it makes a lot of sense after losing Joe Tooney. John, I'm with you on that. But according to my value, he was a third round player at the best. Tyquan Thornton, wide receiver out of Baylor. Like he's a punt returner at best in the NFL. Straight line burner speed, but no twitch, no nothing to add to the offense at all. Their draft class just continuously seemed like we're reaching for players here. It kind of makes you wonder, is Bob Kraft and Bill Belichick up there in Boston? Are, are they starting to lose their minds here a little bit? Because this is now back to back to back bad draft class for the New England Patriots. Maybe they got to bring back the dog again. (laughs) 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 Thank you. We'll get you on very, very soon. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you for the conversation. Thanks for joining us. Our panel, ladies and gentlemen, of sensational comparison. Thank you to Lance Sanderson, Travis May, John Vogel, and Ray Cotto for joining us. Definitely check them out on social media. Always posting things on Twitter. These guys are must see, must listen to when it comes to draft fantasy sports. They're great. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports AM Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. What a great show. No Moneyline Mania. They should be back next week, and they'll be back on our network very, very soon. These guys are the best handicappers in the country. Thank you to Lance Anderson, Travis May, John Vogel, and Ray Cotto for joining us. Sensational segment. And now, the final segment of the week. It's time for Crunch Time. Wait, let me see. At least one more flagrant two foul during the Grizzlies Warriors series. Absolutely. Both teams look like they hate each other. And this is what I love. When two NBA teams don't like each other and not kissing each other's butts that we've seen over the years, that's what makes a good, inspiring series. I think we will see it. I wouldn't be surprised if it's from Draymond Green. I'm going to buy it, too. I don't know if it's from Draymond Green again. I don't know if he wants to risk getting suspended again with the value he brought to when they lost it against the Cavs in the NBA Finals in 2016. So I don't think it'll be him again, but I definitely buy it'll happen again. We've seen a lot of... Division rivals be interested in James Bradbury by or sell it. Another NFC East team will sign him. I do believe that's going to happen. I could see the Eagles doing it. The Eagles need corner depth. The question is, now that they paid A.J. Brown that kind of money, are they going to bring in a guy like Bradbury who is going to demand some money? Also, Washington is another team that could be looking for a corner as well. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. Washington's already done it with two pricey corners. I don't think they're going to do it again. The Eagles are probably the one that could. Howie Roseman isn't really as aggressive with corners as he is with other positions. So I think he'll end up signing elsewhere. I 
guy in the AFC, probably, so I'm going to sell it. Anthony Volpe will be called up at the Yankees by Memorial Day. I'm going to sell that. I don't think by Memorial Day, but I think you will see Volpe sometime this year. I think it'll be after the All-Star break, somewhere around the trade deadline, playing very well right now in AAA. I expect to see him sometime this year, so I'm going to sell that. I'm going to sell it, too. I'm thinking the same way as you. Yankees depth is very good right now. Garrett Wilson will be the leading receiver for the Jets this season. I'm going to sell that. I think it's going to be Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore showed you last year when he did play and he was healthy that he was the best wide receiver on that team. I still think even though Garrett Wilson is expected to be the number one, I think all around it will be Elijah Moore. I think Elijah Moore is a sensational player. I think he's a superstar guy. You listen to A.J. Brown. You listen to D.K. Metcalf. They've both said that this kid is better than them. If he's anywhere close to the talent that these two guys are and he's as good as them or better than them, the Jets have something special. So I'm going to sell that. I'm going to buy it. Best route runner. Also a scheme that really does well with yards after the catch I think will elevate his total too. And I think Elijah Moore is going to take a lot of reps in the backfield too a lot more this year. He was using that role before he got hurt in the middle of the season. I think maybe all-purpose yards, he might be a little ahead of Garrett Wilson, but I think receiving yards, I am actually going to buy that. He will be the number one guy. All right, last one. The New York Rangers will win three straight games with the Penguins now having their third and fourth string goalies. I'm going to sell that. I think they'll win game number three, they'll lose game number four, and then they'll win the next two games. So I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. Rangers and six was my yeah, pick that's initially. That's what I think too. I think it'll either be game four or game five. Either they'll win both with Pittsburgh and then struggle to win at home with all the pressure on them to get it done at home for their fans, or they'll lose a game four. We've seen a lot of young goalies, random goalies, actually do well in this NHL playoffs. It's kind of a random new trend. So I think he has his one moment, whether it's Domingue or the AHL goalie that they call up. But I don't think they win it in five. I think it'll be in six. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Crunch time. Before we go, Tyron Matthew, the honey badger, they call him. He signs a three-year deal, $33 million contract with the Saints, $18 million guarantee. So everything I said uh, where I thought he was going to go to the Rams, it wasn't going to happen. He wants to go back to Louisiana. I'm very excited for that. I don't want to see the Rams get everything that they want. Uh, they got Bobby Wagner. I didn't want to see the superstar safety go over there, so I'm happy. DeAndre Hopkins was suspended for six games for PEDs. That's why I think Arizona traded with the Baltimore Ravens for Marquise Brown. That's where I think the Baltimore Ravens really failed in the draft. They didn't add another wide receiver. They lose Marquise Brown. They don't have a high-flying wide receiving core. Now, Bateman did not play last year. I expect right. Bateman to have a full season, but is Bateman Marquise Brown? Who knows? Marquise Brown had his best season last year. He had over 1,000 yards. He started to build chemistry with Lamar Jackson. I think it might hurt them this year. Every team knows they're a run first, throw second team. They need to find themselves a wide receiver in free agency. Or they have a multitude of tight ends, including our guy, Charlie Kohler. That's right, which we're going to get him on the show again. DeAndre Hopkins is suspended for six games. Who knows? Maybe they trade him. I think Green Bay should look into that because they need a wide receiver very, very badly. They didn't get the wide receiver that they need, and I think Green Bay failed in this year's draft. Devontae White was the best pick that they had this year. I think he's going to be a star in this league. It's going to take him a little while, but the Walker move was very interesting. I know he's athletic. I know they like athletic guys, but it didn't make any sense. It's a classic Packers athletic hybrid player that they always draft in the first round. It doesn't make any sense. Anyways, I'd like to thank our draft panel, Lance Sanderson, Travis May, John Vogel, Ray Cotto. Check out Lance Sanderson, Mile High Huddle Show, his podcast, Travis May, Roto Viz, R-O-T-O-V-I-Z. Check him out. John Vogel, Football Sapien, Sensational as well, and Ray Cotto, all 22. Fantasy guys, all guys know what they're talking about. Check them out on social media and Twitter. They're great. You want to have a good interview? Bring those guys on. They're fun and they're energetic and they know what they're talking about. We'll be back next week with great guests, great show lined up for you. Stay tuned. Keep listening to us as we are the voices of sports here on Long Island. See you next week, guys. Good night.